Well, Father, just as we come to wrap up this sermon series on vigilant, God, I just think about really just what we just sang, when Christ shall come with shouts of adoration or with a shout of acclamation, excuse me, and take me home. Uh, the joy that will fill our hearts. And God, I pray that as, as believers, as people who have put our faith and trust in Christ, as people who have uh, admitted that we are sinners, that we are in need of a Savior, that we have a great Savior in Jesus, that He died on the cross and He rose again, that we would understand the joy and that we would be uh, joyful in all circumstances. God, I think about even uh, Josh and Josh and their excitement this morning to be baptized, to follow You, to be obedient to You and what You've called. And so God, I pray today that we would have that excitement, we would have that passion and that joy in our lives because we have been bought, we have been redeemed uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so, God, we pray that you speak to us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 25. We're wrapping up our sermon series uh, called Vigilant this week. And, and while we wrap up the sermon series, I'm going to do a plug for next week. Starting next week, we're going to be doing this new sermon series. The slide's going to be up there uh, on this. It's called Jonah, the Relentless Pursuit of You. And a lot of times we think of Jonah, we think of the process that, that, that Jonah goes through, the, the message that Jonah brings. And a lot of times everybody gets focused on the whale. Uh, when we don't realize or see the big picture of everything that's going on in the book of Jonah. So we're going we're gonna to be looking at the book of Jonah over the next couple weeks, really probably the next month, month and a half, and we're going to dig in and we're going to see how God relentlessly is in pursuit of you. And that's the thing we have to understand. And I, I preface this because today's sermon is one of those hard sermons. A lot of people think when they think of Southern Baptist churches, they think, Hellfire and brimstone. I mean, most of the guys I work with at FedEx, the minute you say we're a Baptist church, they're like, oh my gosh, hellfire, brimstone, screaming, yelling, everything's up in my face, you know. Um, but today is a sermon that we really have to deal with. We have to wrestle with and walk through because Jesus gives us some very key pointers um, in being vigilant uh, for his second coming. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31 is where we're going to be at. And let me, let me prepare you. If you haven't been here for this vigilant series, the idea of this vigilant series is this, that we remain vigilant for the second coming of Christ, that Jesus will come back. We don't know when. As a matter of fact, I've said this uh, to our people, if you haven't been here, if anybody claims to know when Jesus comes back, I'm going to tell you that you should run for the hills or, or, or really just run from them because that dude doesn't know what he's talking about. All right? If he claims he knows the day, the time, and the hour when Jesus is coming back, or she, then I would say, get the heck out of Dodge, leave, go away, because the dude has no clue what he's talking about, all right? So uh, we'll preface that with that, but being vigilant means to be prepared, to, be, uh, to keep a careful watch. If I am vigilantly watching for somebody or something, um, then I'm going to be on guard, ready, and willing. Am I, am I getting weird? Sounds weird in the mic. All right. I'm going to be on guard, ready and willing to, to, to be prepared. And so uh, I want to ask you this question. Has anybody ever stood, you don't have to raise your hand because you may not want to, stood before a judge? Now, I'm going to tell you, I, <laughs> I have, all right? I got pulled over one time. I got pulled over doing 45 and a 30, um, and then it was a construction zone, supposedly. Um, and I was no construction, no cones, no signs, nothing. Um, and I, so I went to court to fight it. And in the midst of being in court, there was a, a young man who had been pulled over. Um, he had been caught in possession of marijuana and driving without a license. 
Um, he went in, he pled his case. He was let off the hook. Um, there was an older lady in front of me. She was 65. She had her grandson with her. She was caught doing 55 into 20 school zone. Um, not joking. Uh, and she made the plea before the judge that her grandson, who was four in the back, loved NASCAR and wanted to go fast. So she just kept going faster because her grandson kept saying, faster, grandma, faster, faster, grandma, faster. And I'm thinking, dude, I got this easy because I've got proof from the construction company that when I turned left onto the road that there was no construction going on that road and that the police officer who had pulled me over had pulled me over um, in, in really an area that wasn't be, to be construction because construction was back to the right. So I get before the judge thinking, these two people got off. I got it easy. And so I stand before the judge. I plead my case. And the judge is like, no. I mean, the construction company even told me the speed limit sign had been stolen. Somebody stole the speed limit sign um, from the construction area. It's, you know, and I'm sitting here like, look, the construction company said this. You know, it wasn't there. Joe's like, no, no, no. Long story short, I end up getting off on a technicality. All right, I'd been pulled over at 10 o'clock at night and the guy said he had pulled me over at eight o'clock at night. And I was like, well, okay, he pulled me over at eight o'clock at night and it says 10 o'clock. And so the judge threw it out on a technicality, but he was gonna hold me responsible when I've got a 65-year-old grandma there who went 55 in a 20 school zone. And she's like, well, you know, my grandson just loved NASCAR and he wanted to go faster. So I was doing it and he let her off and I'm sitting there going, what kind of, what kind of mess is this? This isn't fair. This is not right. I had the right to plead my case. But today, as we jump into this, this idea of being vigilant is this, that Jesus in his statement to his disciples begins to address a problem or a situation that's gonna arise when Jesus comes back. It's not a problem for those who are saved. It's a problem for those who aren't saved. It's a problem for those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ. And so to give you a, a, an idea of what's going on, this is a description that Jesus is giving now to his disciples after he's identified the signs of his coming. If you, want to, if you weren't here, you can go back and read Matthew 24. Jesus gives these signs. This is what it's gonna be like when I come back. When I come back, these are the signs. You're gonna see these signs. They're gonna be precursors, and then later I will come back. Then he gives the parable of the 10 virgins. In other words, we've gotta be prepared for the coming bridegroom, and so we, we wanna be prepared. And then last week, we looked at the parable of the talents, that we use our talents, our gifts, our abilities, everything that God has gifted us with to see people come to Christ. Why? Because we don't wanna be the ones who hide the talent in the ground. We wanna be the ones who invest the talent that God has given us so that people would hear the gospel message and respond. And then we get to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. And a lot of people are like, I don't like this section of scripture. Because there's this J word that if you were on social media at all, you would know that the minute judgment comes up, what do people say? Don't judge me. You don't know my motives. I don't wanna talk about judgment. Let's not talk about holding people accountable in certain things, but let's hold people accountable in other things, all right? So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, I'm gonna read the first two verses. We're gonna read along as we go through this because I think we need to see what ends up happening. So Jesus has warned them about the signs. He's warned them about being prepared for this second coming. He's warned them about using their talents and now he's warning them. Listen, he's giving them a final warning. Here's what's gonna happen when I come back. So listen to what he says in verse 31. When the son of man comes in his what? What's it say? 
in his glory. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly, listen to this, glory. So there's this idea that when Jesus comes back, there's going to be something that takes place. Everybody's going to know it. We looked at that earlier in Matthew 24. Everybody's going to see Jesus comes back. There's not going to be any doubt, okay? Just as the lightning flashes across the sky, everybody's going to know it. The, the sky is going to be lit up. All chaos is going to break loose. But then listen to verse 32. He's going to be sitting on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. What's that say? Does it say the United States? Does it say just the Middle East? Does it say all, just all the African countries? What does it say? All the nations. In other words, this, I, this, this is this idea. We look at nations and we're like, well, we think of nations. We think of countries. We think of, no, no, the idea is this, that everybody, all the people, all the ethnic groups, all the nations, all the countries, all the people, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of background, everybody will be gathered before him. And listen to what it says. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and he will put the goats on his left. Let's pause there for just a second and then we'll continue on reading about this. How many of you had to learn to do laundry the right way because maybe, just maybe, you threw reds in with whites. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, I have. I bought a brand new pair of, I'm, I'm trying to remember what I bought now, but it was something that was black and I threw it in with my white softball shirt. I didn't even thinking. I was just like, it's all softball stuff. Just throw it in there. So I threw it in there, my white jersey. I'd wash my white jersey with my, with my gray pants, but... I threw this black, I don't even remember what it was. It might have just been new socks, new black baseball socks. But I threw it in the washing machine and I pull out my white shirt and I'm like, oh, crud. Because <laughs> it's gray. I mean, it's like, and then there's like little dark spots of really dark blackish gray in areas. So it's like kind of a white, gray, tie-dye. You know, like, like who wants to wear that out to softball because I'm going to look really stupid right? Okay. But listen, here's what ends up happening. Just as we separate out colors because you don't want contamination of things, Jesus is basically saying this. When I come back with all my glory, I will separate out the good from the bad, the clean from the unclean, the pure, the forgiven, the righteous from the unrighteous. And everybody always gets all offended. Well, what right does he have to do that? Lots of people are good people, but they may not believe the way he says they should believe. Listen, Jesus gives us very clear warning in the previous sections for us to understand that as a result of not believing, as a result of not choosing to put my faith and trust in Christ, I have already made a decision that is an unrighteous decision. And so it's not based upon what God does to them, but it's based upon what they've done to their selves. And so we begin to look at that and we have to understand that Jesus is wrapping up his warning section with a description of why we should be warned, why we need to be living vigilant lives, why we should be prepared, why the church should use their gifts, talents, and abilities to see people come to Christ. Because if we just bury it, listen to me, church, because there's lots of churches that do this. If we just bury it and expect everybody to come and we don't go, we don't love, we don't give mercy, we don't give grace, we don't serve people because, well, I just don't like those kind of people. If we do that, all you're doing is doing what? You're burying your talent. You're hiding it. 
and you're not serving the people you should be serving. And as a result, the church will not be the impact or the influence on the culture or the community it should be. It's going to be stale. It's going to be stagnant. Matter of fact, it's going to die. But listen again as we jump into this, and I want to give you this. This whole section is a description of why we have to remain vigilant. Why? Because when Jesus comes back in all his glory, he's going to stand there and he has to separate out the sheep from the goats. Why? Because the goats are impure. Because the goats are unrighteous. Because the shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep follow him. They hear his voice and they follow him. And so it's important that we understand that this is not, this is not an idea for us to just go, well, you know what, you could just go be a goat and I'll be a sheep and I'm gonna leave you alone. The idea is this, that we should understand that as a result of judgment or because judgment is to come, that we take seriously the message of the gospel. Every time I do a funeral, I read a verse and the verse is this, that as a point of man wants to live and then the judgment. Everybody gets one chance. You got one life, you know, and I joke about it all the time. I have never been to a funeral or done a funeral where the dude all of a sudden got up out of the casket and went, hey, you know what? I was just joking. I decided to walk again. I'm alive. I've never even been to a cemetery where a dude dug up out of the hole and walked off. It's appointed man wants to die, then the judgment. And so when we see the big picture of what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to get us to understand that the judgment is very real. The judgment is something we have to take and live a vigilant life for. Why? Because the judgment is something that is going to separate out the sheep from the goats. And so remember this, and I want you to, if you remember anything, you don't have to remember the three points, but remember this, that Jesus promised he was going to come back. And the only hope we have is to put our faith and trust in Christ. Jesus promised he was gonna come back. That's been this whole idea with this is that Jesus said he was gonna come back. He promised he was gonna come back. And the only hope that you and I have is that our faith and trust is in Christ because when it comes to the separation, he's gonna separate for the sheep from the goats. And listen to me, here's one of the big things. I think there are a lot of people who are in church, I go to church, who really are not saved. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. You've maybe walked through the motions. You know, we, we jokingly say this, but it's the idea of fire insurance. Well, I don't want to go to hell, so I better, scared the hell out of me, I better get heaven into me. A life in Christ is completely different because Jesus says this, that if you love me, you'll obey my commands, number one. Number two, if you love me, you're gonna serve people. Love your neighbor as yourself, Right? And Jesus lays all of these things out. But listen, Jesus promised he was gonna come back. And as a result, the only thing, the only hope I have is to put my faith and trust in Christ. Because that's the only way I can be the sheep. Why? Because then I would know the shepherd and the shepherd would know me. Listen, I'm gonna give you three things that I think we need to see. We're gonna look at kind of three separate sections here in this text as we go along. Number one is this, that Jesus will return with great glory, all right? Matter of fact, if you were to follow along, I'm gonna flip over there and read this, but if you were to go to 2 Peter chapter three, it says this, 
in verse eight, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and with uh, a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Rather, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So carry this idea out. Judgment is not the desire of God to say, I don't want some people in heaven. The judgment comes as a result of the time has come for Jesus to come back and he has to make everything right. And the only way things were made right or for us to have a right relationship with the Father was through the Son. And so those who are apart from the Son, those who do not have a relationship with the Son, then are held accountable. But listen to this, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So when Jesus comes back, he's gonna come back with glory. Why? Because that's who he is. He created everything. If you go to Colossians chapter one, it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created and through, th- through him, all things hold together. And so when Jesus comes back, it is going to be with great glory. And I think we have to begin to see that big picture. It is a great glory. Not just a small glory. Matter of fact, if you were to follow along in 2 Peter chapter 3 again, but in verse 6 it says this, by these waters, sorry, starting in verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last day scoffers will come. And remember, we talked about this. Scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming that he promised ever since our fathers died? Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So people are going to scoff, they're going to laugh, they're going to point, but listen to this and what he says. But they deliberately forgot that long ago by God's word, the heaven existed and the earth was formed out of the waters and by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for, listen, for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I want you to understand this, but I want you to understand the reality of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. That judgment will come. That he created in the heavens originally by his spoken word, everything was created. But as a result of the fall of the angels, as a result of the fall of Satan, those who rebelled against God, then there was something that was created. And this idea is that there was a place of torment and punishment created for those things, those angels the ones who rebelled against God, the ones who wanted to usurp power. Satan and his demons are the ones that hell was created for. Listen to me, hell was not created for you. Hell was created for them. But as a result of a lack of faith, as a result of a lack of trust in Christ, what he says is I have to separate out the sheep from the goats. And at that point, those who chose not to choose are doomed for destruction. So listen, Jesus will return with glory, he says. When it does, or, or when, is, is this idea of time. Think about it. We've talked about it over and over and over again. We don't know the time. We don't know the date. We don't know the hour. Jesus clarified that over and over and over in Matthew chapter 24. We don't know when, but he describes his own glory or his own return in very vivid imagery. It's going to be a glorious thing. And you and I can't even begin to understand what that's gonna look like. We can just maybe fathom just a little bit of it. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud shout, which we just sang about uh, in that song, with a loud shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Think about this. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first. I mean, 
Remember what I was talking about the funeral? Can you imagine being out in a cemetery? You're getting ready to bury this body. All of a sudden, Christ comes back and you see a bunch of people getting up out of the grave. You'd be like, what the heck? Zombie apocalypse, as most people would say today. What the heck is going on? These people are rising up out of the grave. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are dead will rise first. That's what it says. And then those who are alive in Christ, who are still living on the earth, will be caught up with them in heaven. So Christ will come with glory. All chaos is going crazy with the planets. If you read Matthew chapter 24, the sun's not shining, the moon's been darkened, the stars aren't giving off their life, gravitational pull's gonna be off in chaos, and then here we go, Jesus comes back. And dead people rise. I'm telling you, I know what's gonna go on because you can go out and buy a Jeep right now that's a zombie apocalypse Jeep. And they'll get you some good money. Or I mean, they're, they're gonna get some good money from people who are doing it. I saw one the other day, I was right behind it. Zombie apocalypse Jeep. In preparation of the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I was like, wow. All right. So anyways, listen, that's what's going on. That's gonna be the mentality. It's gonna be this idea. So Jesus will return with great glory. That's what's gonna happen. See, God's throne is going to be, it already is a magnificent place and it's gonna be one of great honor, great glory, great respect and great awe. And so we begin to see God's glory take place. And listen, we have to understand this and it says this in verse 14, or sorry, in verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him. You know, one of, my, one of my struggles that I've had in the past when I've dealt with um, individuals, and I, have, I think I've said this before, I'm pretty sure I have, is the amount of people who say, well, I don't think we should do missions overseas. We should only focus on the United States. And let me tell you something. If you look at the Bible through a United States of America lens, you're gonna miss out on a lot. Because the gospel is not just for Americans. The gospel is not just about America. The gospel is not about Americans. The gospel is for all nations, all people groups, all people around the world. And the church has to understand that I should be about the mission of Jesus Christ in my daily life at work, at school, or wherever else. And I should be about the mission of Jesus Christ around the world. And remember, we talked about this last week, the bearing of the talents. In a monetary situation, the United States is a five-talent pool of Christians. We have more money than any other nation around the world that we can give towards missions, that we can support with missions, that we can support missionaries with, all right? We're a five-talent group. And sadly, there are many churches who go, yeah, we got five talents, and we're burying, one, or we're burying all five of them. We're not going to spend any of them on missions because we think it's all about here. It has to be a both and. It can't be one or the other. It's a both and together, working together so that we can accomplish this. So listen, he says he's gonna come with great glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, what's the difference between sheep and goats? The wool. Back then it was the wool. A sheep had value because of the wool. Goats great animals. They could use them. They could sell them. They could eat them. They could do all kinds of things. They got the milk from them. Just... But the reality was a sheep was more valuable than a goat because of the wool. All right? Now, that's the big picture. But here's the biggest picture. In John, we see where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They hear my voice, 
and they follow me. So what is Jesus saying basically at this point? When I come back, I know my sheep. They're gonna hear my voice. They're gonna be ready. They're gonna respond. And I'm going to separate out the sheep from the goats. There's this big picture that Jesus is trying to get to communicate to us. There are goats. As a matter of fact, back in those days, from a distance, somebody may look and go, hey, that guy's got a bunch of sheep. And as the shepherd got closer, you'd realize they were a bunch of goats because the goats and sheep might look alike off in the distance. But as they got closer, Jesus could tell the difference between sheep and goats. And listen to me, here's the big picture, especially if you're a believer or you've professed to be a believer, but maybe there's no fruit in your life. From a distance, you may act like a Christian. People may say, yeah, that guy's a Christian, but does your fruit, the fruit you're bearing in your life, represent Christ in what you're doing? Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect, doesn't mean you're not gonna sin. The question is, do you bear fruit as a result of what Jesus is in doing in your life, are you bearing fruit? Because off in the distance, you may look like a sheep, but as you get closer, you might be a goat. Now, don't turn to your wife and say you look like a goat. Or wives, don't turn to your husband and say you look like a goat, because he might make a sound. But listen, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I hope you get this picture. It's not beyond. Why? It's not beyond God because God said, I have sent my son to die on the cross I don't want any to perish, but all to come to Christ, to faith in Christ. He's, look, he's, he says, I'm being patient. I haven't come back. Why? Because I want people to come to know me. I want people to be my sheep. I want people to follow me as the shepherd. So Jesus is very patient. He's very slow. He's, he's, he's giving people a chance. But listen, there's going to be a point in time where he's going to separate out the sheep and the goats. So we have to understand that Jesus will return with great glory. And as a result of that, there will be a separating out. That's what the Bible says. And so we begin to follow that. We understand what's going on. Number two, though, is this. There's gonna be a great reward. Look at verse 34. Follow along with me. Then the king will say to those who are on the right, keep in mind, those are the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Listen to what he's saying, okay? We talked about this in the previous sermon series called The King and His Kingdom, but listen to what he says. The kingdom that has been prepared for you since when? So the kingdom of God was prepared for all of mankind since the creation of of the world. Listen and keep that in mind. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And Jesus, then it says this, the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, keep in mind, this is an idea. The brothers carries a, a part of connotation of people who are followers of Christ. I'm not telling you not to serve the poor, the needy, the destitute. I believe wholeheartedly we should do this. 
But Jesus is saying, when you serve another brother who is in need, who needs clothing, who needs support and help, who is in prison as a result of maybe their faith or anything else like that, that you go and care for him. And when you care for him, when you show him love, you are serving Christ himself. Matter of fact, think about it this way. When I go back and serve in the children's ministry, I am serving who? I'm serving the kids, but I'm also serving Jesus. Because in the midst of my service, I am giving to what, or using what my talents and abilities I have so I can serve Christ first and foremost. Whether that's greeting, whether that's working the kids ministry, whether that's working in the, 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 the kitchen downstairs or a behind the scenes person, the sound or music or whatever it is. When I serve others in the name of Jesus, I am serving Jesus. And so that's a beautiful picture to see. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And so we begin to see that there's this great reward. Listen to what he says. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take in your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I think that's something we have to begin to understand, that Jesus' plan, God's plan right from the beginning that he created this kingdom so all mankind could be a part of this kingdom, to inherit this kingdom as a result of their relationship with him. But there was something that crept in, the sin called sin, and sin as a result. And listen, whether you like it or not, sin is a result of one man. As a result of one man's choice, sin infects everybody. And so in, over, in order to overcome sin, we have to have a payment for that sin and that sin was, or that payment for sin was Jesus. And so we have to understand that's something that takes place. And listen, when we get into the big picture of what we see here, the righteous will answer, when did we do this? The idea is this, that we always live lives of, of, of servants, that we serve each and every person regardless of where they're at, what they've been through, how they've been hurt, what struggles they face, what their background is like, what they did in high school. I, I was joking around last night. We were, we were eating. If I was to run for office, I would hate to see what would be drug up. I'm not joking. And I, look, I have no plan to run for office. I, no way. But I would hate to see what drug up because I, I've told new, new people or people who are here for the first time, when my wife and I went to my 20-year high school reunion, the first question was, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a pastor. And they look right at my wife, eyes bigger and everything. And they go, do you know what he was like in high school? And she's like, yeah, I heard stories. <laughs> because I would hate to see how my name would be drugged through the mud as a result of what I did. I, I literally would. I mean, heck, I mean, all they got to do is go back and get my high school transcript and see three days out of school suspension, fighting, beat the crud out of a kid. Well, today I'd be in jail or probably arrested at some point. They got a zero tolerance policy. And I look back and I just tell my son, do not do what I did, okay? Don't act like your dad. He's, he's kind of messed up anyways because his dad got away with so much. And I don't mean that in a bad way. His dad got away with so much that I, like, I know all the ins and outs. Like he'll say something. I'm like, no, dude, you're not pulling the fast one over on me. You know, I, you, you don't understand who your dad was. All right, I, I got this down. I know, I know what to play. I know what to say. I know what to pull out. We're good to go. All right, but listen, and I think this is the big thing. There was a Baptist uh, missionary a long time ago, lived in the late 1700s into the 1800s, named William Carey. 
And he says this, this is a quote, it's a famous quote, a lot of people know it, but he says, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And I think that's the picture that Jesus is saying here is, look, you're gonna expect a great thing from me because I am coming back. And what I'm asking you to do is to attempt great things for me that in the midst of everyday life that you serve people where you're at. And as a result, there's gonna be a great reward because you're gonna inherit what I created from the beginning. And what I did is I created them from the beginning so that you could be successful, so that you could have love and faith in me, that it would all be about me and my glory, not you and your glory. That's what Jesus is saying. So when we perform acts of mercy and when we care for others, we do that because we're serving Jesus first and foremost. And number three, and this is the hard part, this is the part nobody likes to talk about, and listen to me, it makes me uncomfortable to have to preach about it, but we have to dig into what scripture says. Number three, that there will be a great punishment. A great punishment is executed. I don't know, and maybe, maybe there are individuals, but every military guy I've talked to who has been in battle every police officer who has been in a shootout, every person who has seen some sort of violence that I have talked to in any way, shape, or form never gets that out of their mind and doesn't usually like to talk about the execution of, in other words, or the, 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 the big picture of somebody getting hurt. I mean, I, I, sometimes I'll describe things when I've seen car accidents and stuff and people are like, I, I don't wanna hear it. I don't want, you know, you see an accident, you see something messed up. I remember seeing an accident on Highway 13 and the guy had hit his head on the windshield. You ever seen a cantaloupe on somebody's head? Never seen a skull come out so far in my life? And you're sitting there going, what the heck? Nobody likes to talk about punishment being executed. But that's exactly what Jesus then begins to say. He says, look, here's the deal. If you're gonna remain vigilant, you have to understand that there is gonna be a punishment. But listen to verse 41, and I'm gonna follow because then he says this. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are accursed into the eternal fire prepared for you or prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen to me. Hell was not created. Hell was not created for humanity. Hell was created for who? What's it say? Into the eternal fire prepared for the what? Devil and his angels. It was not prepared for humanity, but as a result of choosing not to follow, as a result of choosing not to put faith and trust in Christ, that's exactly where it has, because listen to what he says in verse 42. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Listen, it's never anything easy to talk about when you start talking about this. And if you're a person who's been here, uh, you need to talk to some of the people who've been here probably four or five years because it's not something I've preached on very much. But it's also the reality, and it's a struggle. It's this battle between righteous and unrighteous. It's this idea that, well, we don't like punishment. I mean, heck, I don't like giving punishment to my son or my daughters. I hate it. And it's even worse to even talk about it. 
But there's a reality that when my son or daughter steps out of line, there's gonna be a punishment. Why? Because I want them to do what's right. But this is a final punishment, is a ending punishment. It's something we have to begin to understand. And so before we get upset about the issue, we have to understand that it's not God's desire for anybody to go there. Remember what we said earlier? Jesus is being patient. He's slow. He's waiting. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to faith in Christ. But listen, there's a point in time, whether it's by my death or by Jesus' second coming, that I will be held accountable for the decision I made to either put my faith and trust in Christ where I'll be held accountable and I will be rewarded or whether it's I rejected and I will be punished. I could drop a pin in the room right now because everybody's like, oh. The most important response we can make is to respond properly to Jesus Christ by putting our faith and trust in Christ. And so as we begin to dig deeper, as we begin to see, we understand that Jesus says, look, I've given everybody a chance, chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. And when I come back, it's final. So when the scoffers say, well, where is Jesus at? Why has he not come back? All you can sit back and say is, go on, dude, because he's given you a chance. He's giving you every opportunity to respond to him in faith. Remember, heaven or the kingdom was created for you to celebrate from the beginning of time, but hell was prepared for Satan and his angels or his demons. Of, uh, and, and it wasn't set up that way. But listen, when we choose to not put our faith and trust in Christ, what Jesus then says is at the end, I tell you the truth, that whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, and then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so here in my heart today, we demonstrate Christ's lordship in our lives through acts of service to the needy. We demonstrate our lordship of Jesus Christ in our life by loving our neighbor is ourself. We demonstrate the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life by being obedient to what he's called us to do because he called us to go and make disciples. He called us to be baptized. He said, this is what I want you to do. He called us to obey his commandments. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So I follow his word each and every day in my life so that I can show, number one, that Christ is in me, that I have a relationship with him, and number two, that others can see Christ in me and that they can see the difference that Jesus makes. So the question may be this. Well, what in the world am I supposed to do then? And I would just ask you this. Number one, have you repented of your sins? I'm I'm, going to go down here. The Bible is very clear. It says that if you repent of your sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins, all of our unrighteousness. So if you just said it, just very simply, I've sinned. God, I have sinned. I'm sorry for my sin. I regret my sin. I repent of my sin. And listen, repentance is just a simple thing. I'm going one way and I've turned around and gone the other. If you've dealt with anything on I-70 this weekend, you know what it means to turn around and took us an hour to get home the other night. And I was like, good grief, over an hour. All because of the stupid construction. You know what it means to go the other way. Because you run into a sign that says road closed. You just turn around and go back the opposite way. 
If I'm going a certain way in my life, I repent of the way I'm going and I'm turning around, I'm going the opposite way. So Jesus just says, you repent. I can't do it alone. I know that I need help changing my life. And Jesus is the way to do it. And second, you can come by faith. And faith just simply means this, belief. I put my belief in Christ. Faith means that you put your trust in Jesus. Lord, I give myself to you, Lord, in everything I do. I want to be obedient to you. I want to live a vigilant life knowing that at some point in time, you are coming back. We don't know when. We don't know the time, the day, the hour. But we know you're coming back. And we know you're patient. You're being so patient with me. And listen to me, I hope you hear this out because judgment sometimes can come across so harsh. But I want you to hear this, that Jesus is being patient. This, this calling today is just Jesus' patience. He is patiently waiting, wanting people to put their faith and trust in Christ. He's calling to you. And I'm telling you this, this is the way the Spirit works. The Spirit is calling, he's tugging, he's pulling on people's hearts. And there may be something in your mind saying, no way, this is fake, this is dumb, this is stupid. How do you believe this? No, 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 no. Do not reject the calling of the Spirit because that's what the Spirit's doing. He is calling you. And your mind may be trying to say one thing, but your heart's saying this is right. And so very simply, as we close with this, I just wanna ask you that big question. If it came down to it in the end, Are you a sheep or a goat? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Would you be separated to the right? Or have you denied him? Are you saying there's no way I'm ever gonna give that opportunity and you're gonna stay to the left? Because the choice is up to you and that's really that that, that issue. Do you believe? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ or do you deny and choose to go about it on your own? Let's pray. God, I know that it is not something that sits simply, uh, easily on the heart. It is something that can be tough. It can be hurtful for some, especially when maybe we've lost loved ones who we know um, have gone in a separate direction, have chosen a, a certain way. And God, I know that it is, is never something that's it's easily discussed. But Father, I, I wanna pray, first of all, and thank you for the fact that you are patient. You have given us chance after chance after chance to respond. You have given us, your people, the people who have put their faith and trust in Christ, chance after chance after chance to live the gospel out, to tell people the good news of Jesus. And God, we know that it says very simply that you do not want any to perish, but all to come to life. But we also know there's a choice involved, that you could be calling, you could be drawing, you could be talking to them, and they could choose just not to follow you. And so God, I pray today that just in your patience that they would see your love, your grace, and your mercy through your son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus paid the price that we couldn't pay so that we could earn the gift that we never deserved. And that gift is life in you. So I pray today that God, as we close with this, that you would just have your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close with the song. There's nothing magical about walking up here. If you want to put your faith and trust in Christ, you can do it right where you're at, very simply, all right? But if you want to make it public, and one of the things I always challenge people to do is to make it public. You need to tell somebody, I put my faith and trust in Christ today. You can come up here and tell me. You can wait until the end. Listen to me, I, I, I stand by this. There is nothing magical about up here. You coming up here and telling me is no different than you going back there and telling me. 
Because those two young men who were baptized earlier today, they didn't walk up here. They did it in their home with their parents. And they came here and said, I want to be baptized because I've already put my faith and trust in Christ. But just make it known. You got to let somebody know. So let's close in this song and uh, you'll be dismissed.